Welcome to the broadcast, my friend. This is Evangelist Mike McCurry, the director of Bible Tracks Incorporated, and I can't thank you enough for your part in our ministry by listening to this program today. If you are new, I'm going to give you a Reader's Digest version in just a few moments to what we are all about, and I want to thank you for taking some time to be a first-time listener. If you are, though, a long-time listener, we're going to continue in our study through 1 Kings 17 because, and here's why, this is important, something is missing, and oftentimes it's missing from your life, and it's missing from my life. That guy that I have to stare back in the mirror at, those two little eyeballs that I have to look at when I put my feet on the floor in the morning and I shuffle to the restroom, there's something missing from his life sometimes, isn't there? And if we were honest with ourselves, there's something missing from your life as well. We're going to find out what that is in just a moment. Before we do, though, as a little bit of an introduction to Bible Tracks Incorporated, I have somewhat of a non sequitur of a question here. How did you do in geography in school? I'm told and I've heard and I've seen examples of, unfortunately, the fact that the average, the typical American school student does pretty poorly on geography tests. But since most of the listening audience today are adults, like you yourself and not children, let me give you a quick geography quiz. Are you ready? Let's get the little hamster upstairs in your brain rolling a little bit here, right? Get them on that wheel. You might see some smoke coming out of your ears as you try to figure out this geography quiz. Here's a question for you. Could you find the following countries on a map? If a world map were displayed for you on a wall or on a large kitchen table, could you find these countries? How about Spain? Well, that's somewhat easy. How about Luxembourg? What about Botswana? Hmm. What about Moldova? Ecuador? Serbia? Serbia? Suriname? Jordan? Israel? Argentina? Some of those in there, I'm sure, sounded a little bit familiar, but some probably not. How'd you do? Could you have found one of those 10 or so countries that I just mentioned? Could you have found two? How about five? Could you have found all 10 or 11 or 12? Based on your score just now, would you say that you are a world-focused Christian? Or are you, in some ways, more internally focused on yourself. Let's talk about being a world-focused Christian for just a moment, like Jesus Christ. Let's talk about actually giving the world what they need. Can I tell you, friend, the world does not need Micah McCurry's charisma such as it is. Not very much of it. It doesn't need more of my personality, my philosophies, my methodologies. No, friend, they need something that's missing. And I'd like for us to learn how to give it to them today. Before we get into the whole idea of being a world-focused Christian, a world-focused follower of Christ, let me tell you a gospel tract story. These are some of my favorites. Here's one for you. A number of years ago, a pastor in New York City, remember that bustling town, subways and cars constantly coming and going, he was waiting to get on a subway underground there. As he waited, though, he saw a man. They had a few moments until the train would pull into the station. And the man's eyes seemed to be gazing at the empty tracks, almost lost in thought. But there was an intensity about the man that the pastor couldn't place. And that pastor felt an urging of the Holy Spirit, most likely, to go give the man a gospel tract. 
At first, the pastor tried to kind of just push off that feeling, kind of put it at arm's length. He almost said in his heart, "Ah, what's the use? That man probably isn't even interested in spiritual things. Oh, how we can make excuses for ourselves, can't we? Again, the pastor felt this urging in his soul to go to the man. And that time he did. He went up to the man, walked up beside him, and as he held out a gospel track, the pastor said, Would you like something to read? The man kind of snapped back out of wherever his head was at that moment and said, No. He said it in a rather angry tone. That's where most of us, and if I'm being honest, maybe me too, that's where most of us would have stopped talking to that man and turned to go, but thankfully, not that pastor. The pastor looked the man in the eyes and said, Have you ever thought about eternity? Later on, the pastor was mentioning that that's the first time that he'd ever said those words before in the work of the gospel. He had never uttered those words that way before, but that day he did. The man almost acted in a flash. He snatched the track from the pastor's hand and said this, How did you know I was thinking about eternity? That began a gospel conversation, and in just a few moments, really, the pastor led that man to Christ, right there on the subway platform. The newly born-again man told the pastor that he had come to the subway tracks with a purpose, with a sad intention of throwing himself in front of a train. That day, he saved the man's physical self, but also, and more importantly, his soul, his spiritual life. Social good was done that day, but beyond that, a greater, more powerful, more eternal spiritual work was done, and that is a perfect segue into 1 Kings chapter 17. We've spent this time getting to know the man Elijah. He was a rough cob of a man. A little bit of friction, or I should say a lot of friction, always seemed to accompany him wherever he went, whether it be the throne room of the wicked king Ahab in 1 Kings 17 verse 1, or even when he meets the widow of Zarephath in verse number 9 of chapter number 17. Elijah may have been a little bit difficult to get along with, but only because he was constantly about the Lord's business. He was also only ever following the word of the Lord, at least in the time that we see him in 1 Kings 17. That brings him into direct contact with the aforementioned widow of Zarephath. We met her in verse number 9 and 10 and 11. And then we find in verse number 16 that a miracle occurs. The widow and her son are kept alive by a never-ending, an overabundant barrel of meal and a cruise of oil that allows them to subsist even in the midst of a drought and famine brought about by God. In verse number 17, we pick back up the account, and it came to pass after these things, that the son of the woman, the woman of Zarephath, the mistress of the house, fell sick, and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? We made the application yesterday. That even though the boy died and he did not wake up, that this lady, in spite of the fact that her son would have died weeks and months earlier of hunger, of starvation, she still 
made what seemed to be in the moment on my first initial reading of this passage to be a little bit of a faithless and a foolish accusation to the man of God, Elijah, art thou come to slay my son? That question doesn't make any sense. Of course, Elijah wasn't coming to to slay her son, to kill her son. She's lashing out. If Elijah had been coming to slay her son, he would have been dead months ago from starvation. And yet, this woman makes this accusation. Can I tell you, friend, that even though she had eaten and subsisted on miracle food, the barrel of meal wasting not, the cruise of oil not failing, can I tell you, even though she had been eating of miracle food for days and weeks and months now, she forgot all of that when disaster struck. When the circumstances turned bad, an irritation, a frustration, an anger rose up within her, a grief really, rose up and she confronted the man of God and said, Art thou come to slay my son? And we continue in verse number 19, And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of the bos- her bosom and carried him into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child, and brought him down out of the chamber into the house, and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. I'd like you to put yourself into that circumstance with me. This woman confronting Elijah, holding her dead son. What a sad state. What a sad scene. And Elijah says, Give me thy son. And he pries him out of her arms and gathers him up tenderly, gently carries him upstairs. And God provides a miracle. I'd like you to think about what that woman was thinking as she sat in a corner of her home, stricken with grief, kind of closed off in a fetal position, sitting there thinking all hope was lost, her reason for living gone. And she hears the muffled voice of Elijah raising his voice to God, calling upon God, and she thinks nothing will come of this. And then she hears the little pitter-patter of feet. Up in the loft, it's not the heavy tread of Elijah, a grown man, probably a strong, full-sized grown man. Not his heavy footfalls, no, bounding down the stairs are the little footsteps of a little boy whose tread she recognizes. And Elijah, behind the boy, says, See, thy son liveth. Let's look at the woman's response to this occurrence. Verse number 24, And the woman said to Elijah, Now. I'd like to point out that word for just a moment. Now. Let's look at the context. Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that what? The word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. What an amazing occasion of God working, of the word of the Lord being proven to be true. But can I point out, friend, it was not until life 
was given that she realized the efficacy of the word of the Lord. It's all well and good while her belly was full, but I wonder how quickly the doubts set back in every time her belly began to grumble again. Will there be enough food in there? Can I tell you, friend, that the God that we serve, he would like to offer a water that once we take a drink of that, we will never thirst again, as he told that Samaritan woman by the well. Friend, we're going to wrap all of this up in the next day or so. I appreciate you listening to this thought. Something's missing. As we conclude Thursday and Friday, let's listen into the Bible Track Echoes radio broadcast. Thanks for listening. God bless. Thank you for joining us today for Bible Track Echoes, a ministry of Bible Tracks Incorporated. If you would like to receive a free sample packet of all of our tracks, you can contact us by calling 309-828-6888. That's 309-828-6888. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 188, Bloomington, Illinois, 61702. A faster way to contact us is to go to our website at BibleTracksInc.org. That's BibleTracksInc.org. There you will find more information about our ministry and details on how you can support Bible Tracks Incorporated. Thanks for listening, and may the Lord richly bless you as you serve Him.